Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 387 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writers Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. I'm here with Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of The Firestar, a Maven and Reeve mystery. How are you, Al? Well, I'm. Well. you may remember that uh-huh. when we discussed my general life and well-being last week, yes. I was talking about the 34-page chapter that I had to, oh, yeah. had to wrestle uh, in the revisions of the second book of mm. the Maven and Reeve series. And you'll be excited to hear that I will be able to discuss a title and all of those things with you soon. Um, but in the, in the meantime, I'm going through uh, and working out, you know, what I'm doing with that, which is taking up a fair bit of my headspace. But the other interesting thing, I just wanted to actually mention this because um, it's probably something that I should have known a long time ago that I've only really just got my head around. And it is the fact that my um, my editor, Mary, who, as I said last week, is quite fabulous, she sent me a chapter breakdown with my edit. So she sent me a document. It's like a little spreadsheet of it's it's just essentially a breakdown of how many pages are in each chapter and the three key points of what happens in right. that chapter. Now, anyone who is using um, Scrivener or is actually a sensible person probably already knows how useful this is, um, but I didn't and I haven't. <laughs> And now I'm looking at it as I go through my uh, this edit with my 34 pages, and it's uh, clarified for me in in a big way exactly you know where the breaks need to be in my <laughs> in my chapters. Mm. And let's just talk about the fact that this is my how many are we up to? This is my eighth published children's novel, and yes, is, uh, and. I've also got three nonfiction. I think it's a different, like, I think that when you write nonfiction books, which, you know, mm. you and I have both done, yes. you approach them in a different way, or I oh, certainly do. Yes. Um, I approach them as a series of, you know, I have a chapter breakdown before I even start with For a nonfiction sure. book. Yes. And I have an exact kind of like this, it's, I'm going to cover this subject. I'm going to cover this yep. subject. I'm going to cover this subject. So approaching, like, if you had said to me, you need to go and write me a non-fiction Maven and Reeve mystery, which would be, you know, slightly difficult, but mm-hmm. you need to go and write me a, that, then I would immediately have sat down and done that. Um, but as a mm. non-plotter and a non-planner of my stories, mm. you know, I, I have to often do this stuff in the revision. And I'm not exactly sure why I've never actually gone through and done this myself in the past because mm. now that I see how useful it is, um, yeah. So wow. if you are out there and you are a pantser and you are struggling with a revision, can I just suggest that you break it down like this? Because it really is making quite a big difference to my whole life. And yes, wow, there's always great. something new to learn, right? Yes, <laughs> even such, after eight novels. And it's such an obvious thing, but I, mm. I don't know why. I think I've always been a bit scared of it in the past in the sense of. Scared of what exactly? Oh, scared of discovering I've got a 34-page chapter. <laughs> Do you know? Okay. Like it's sometimes better for someone else to discover that for you. Oh, right. <laughs> Do you get yes. what I'm saying? And then you go, oh, gosh, really? And then it's like, wow, I need to fix that. Whereas mm. I think if you discover for yourself in that sort of, you know, first or second draft that you've got a 34-page chapter, it can seem quite difficult and hard and you might just walk away and never come back. So mm. I'm not sure if it's a um, an Allison thing or a... <laughs> 
<laughs> just a general writer thing or what. But anyway, that's my revelation of the week. Wow, that's great. Spreadsheets can be useful. Yes, yes. Well, you know, we've spoken to many an author who who effectively write by, well, maybe not many, but we've definitely spoken to several authors who effectively write by spreadsheet, don't haven't we? Well, we have, but I, I just, I don't think I could do it that way. I don't think no. I could sit down and go, well, I need to write a 12-page chapter now and it needs to be a 17-page chapter now. Mm. And it, I, I don't think I could do that. My, I, I think I have to retrofit. It just seems to be my general, you know, way of life. I need to know what I'm working with before I, before I really start doing that, you know, serious mm. um, work. And I think that um, I, I, I don't have an issue with that and I've never had an issue with having to go back and do those revisions and do the work. Um, I just don't think I'd ever really realise that the clarity that something like that would would bring to my yeah. to my process mm. and the shock of it's discovering the, just how long shock. my chapters are <laughs> because they don't feel long when you're writing them. That's the thing. No. They don't feel long when you're writing them. But they only think, feel long when you're editing them or reading them when, out loud. Are you just hope? are you kind of subconsciously hoping, oh, I'll just write it and if no one notices that there's oh, yeah. an issue. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> oh, I absolutely believe that that is fully the case. I am thinking to myself, I am so engrossed in this story. Surely mm. everyone else will be so engrossed in this story that they will not right. notice that they have been reading out loud for an hour. Like that's okay. my, you know, that's kind of, you know, somewhere. Like you don't, like that's no, not yes. a conscious. But I'm hoping no one will know. We're all hoping no one will we notice. Are. We're hoping that every, you know, like it's, I sometimes, I, I can think in the past of things where I've sent things off and there's been maybe a detail in my in my novel that, you know, is, is a bit, maybe I'm a bit thinking, oh, is that, is that might be a little bit wobbly. But mm-hmm. if I, I send it to my editor hoping that everything else is so brilliant that they won't notice. And I'm here to tell you people, they always notice. But they do. They yep. really do. And that's mm. why working with an editor is such a valuable thing because mm. sometimes you just need someone else to go, oh, a bit of a wobble there, Al. We might yep. need to sort that, you know. It's not yep. on the page. I think that the thing that um, most often comes back is you know what you're saying, you know what's happening, you know what your world looks like, you know what your character would do, but if it's not on the page, then no one else knows. And yeah. sometimes you just need an editor to go, it's not on the page, you need to put it on the page. Now, would you rather have a um, really upfront or, you know, uh, not quite brutal, but, you know, very straightforward editor, or are, do you prefer the, oh, you know, I'm wondering whether it you could you might think about possibly doing X. I've I've come to realize a couple of things because I've worked with both types of those editors in, mm. and even you know in magazines I've worked with you know obviously a lot of different personality types yes. when it comes to editing and I don't mind either but mm. what I have come to realize is that they are both wanting exactly the same thing from you. Oh, yes, the person, yes, for sure. The person who is, do you, whatever, you know, I'm just thinking, mm. is actually saying to you this needs to change in yes. exactly the same way as the blunt person with the red pen through the paragraph yes. goes, this needs to change. And I think it's getting that message and not sort of just hoping you can fudge over it is Mm. one of the biggest lessons that you need to learn as a writer when you're working with an editor. Mm. The approach might be slightly different, but the, the, the basic, um, 
message is the same. And even if it's something that you want to desperately keep in your book, like mm. even if they're asking a question about something that you as an author really, you know, don't want to change, you don't want to lose it, you don't want to whatever, you're very, very attached to it. Mm you have to change it in such a way that it works with the story. So mm. I, we talked about this, I think, when we were discussing the Adaban Cypher novels um, and the the editor at that stage said to me, "Do and it was a question, do we really need this character? Does this mm. character have to stay? You know, can't these, can't, can we not have, wasn't it, you know, Beyonce, wasn't it, Des, can't we have Destiny's <laughs> Child instead of the Spice Girls, I think was how she put it. And I'm pretty sure that was the that was the basic premise, um, and I was, you know, generally speaking, if a if an author, if an editor says to me, "Do we really need this?" My response after reading through things is often, "No, actually, we probably don't." Um, right. You have to be open to that. Um, but in this particular case, I was adamant that we did. Like, I did not want to lose this character for a whole range mm -hmm. of reasons, and so I, I went back to her and I said, "No, you know." The, we've got the Spice Girls and that's what we've got, you know. And um, she said, okay, well, then she needs to be more you, – you have to put her on the page more. She needs to be more important. At the moment, that character is getting lost. Like, you know where she is because you're writing the story, but as the reader, she disappears off the page, you know, for, for pages and pages and chapters and chapters and then suddenly comes back. Um, and so, sometimes as a writer, you're not always aware of that. Um, so it was a really conscious thing for me to go back with that particular character and her arc and make her present and make her, mm. you know, bring her up to Spice Girl kind of, you know, um, prominence. Like she needed to be one of the four, not just the three at the front and her at the back being a backup singer, you know. It had mm. to be – and, I like, we've really – I'm really mashing up my um, comparisons and things here. But that's, you know, that's <laughs> – and I, I, I think, you know, it's it's not – it's not like I, I say it so blithely and I say it with such a, you know, but it's really hard. Like, and, and it's very difficult yeah. to hear that this character that you love is possibly not required. And sometimes they're not. I have written out characters in the past that haven't worked. Mm. Um, but if there's something that you desperately want to hang on to and you have a good reason for doing so, and in that particular case I did, um, then you've got to think about how are you going to make this character worthwhile in this book? What is, mm. what is that character's story? Um, not just that character as an adjunct to your main character and what's going on. Mm. Yes, always up. interesting. Yes, always interesting to get feedback from editors. I I, did, I know this is really childish, but um, I wrote okay. this book once. Could it be worse <laughs> than your bubble wrap problem? <laughs> I, I did this. I wrote this book once on um, uh, innovation in Australia. I know, yeah. very different, to, very mm. different to um, the stuff we usually talk about. But anyway, like a billion thousand words, you know, proper book about innovation in Australia. Lots of different industries. Blah 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 blah. The target market was people in the corporate world, CEOs, high level senior executives, C suite, that sort of thing. And um, the uh, I pretty much. Um, uh, listened to the feedback uh, and the editing, you know, comments of every single word in it, except the one thing I wouldn't budge on. And I said that I'm not going to do it. If you're going to do it, I just don't want to do this project, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I got the feedback. Um, do we really need to use the word farts? <laughs> yeah. How, honestly, you have this innate talent for taking a conversation that is at one level and immediately dropping it to the bottom floor. We're in the basement. 
Why would you have farts in there? Because it's really interesting, actually, because it was a okay. innovation on um, waste management. And I actually went to the recycling plant out at middle of nowhere and watched the entire recycling process. It was fascinating. And there's this particular, and they separate out the metals and the this, that, and the other, and all the like organic waste goes into this particular thing. And that's where all these bacteria and microbiomes, or I don't actually remember the words, but these, you know, things um, infest themselves in there and they fart and um, produce basically energy. Okay. Yes, anyway. Um, anyway, I... I <laughs> okay, we've really wandered down a path here. Should we go back to where we yeah, were Yeah, let's go back, sorry. Hi. All right, let's go How back are you, to the... Al? <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to the world of writing and publishing. We have a great link. I love this link. Um, now, we've actually... It's a, a, it's a post by Kylie Fennell. And it is on the Australian Writer Centre blog. It's called Five Tips for Finding Your Right People. W-R-I-T-E. Get it? Okay. Oh, baby, you're so... (laughs) Yeah. I love this link for a whole variety of reasons. One, it's written by Kylie and it's um, it, it talks about the fact that she and a bunch of other fantastic writers have recently uh, released an anthology and Yay. this particular anthology is called Lighthouse and Anthology and it is described as a unique collection of fantasy, sci-fi, romance, crime, historical fiction, dystopian and paranormal short stories set in lighthouses. This is so cool and this is an initiative that they came up with themselves because out of their their, their tribe, right, and that includes authors Kat Carr, Carlton Jenner, Joe Edgar Baker, Sophia Evans, Kylie Fennell, Chris Foley, Kelly Leons, Alyssa McKay, Brooke Maggs, Anna McAvoy, Bianca Milroy, Lee Scott, Sharon Swanepoel, Lane Thornton and Jodie Woodward. Hello to you all. I just really want to give a shout-out to all of them because it takes initiative and a bit of bravery to put out an anthology. Oh, I think it's great. Yourself. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And um, one of the other reasons I love this story is because um, these people met at a writing event in Brisbane because I actually went to Brisbane and um, spoke about, you know, writing, you know, um, about the world of writing. And Kylie writes in this post that I gave the advice, you can't, if you can't find a writer's group, start your own. And they met at that event and they started their own writer's group. And that was a years ago, like I don't even remember how many years ago, and they're still meeting and not only are they meeting, they're producing fantastic works of fiction, short stories and this anthology. So big shout out to um, to Kylie and her tribe uh, on this wonderful anthology. You know, go grab a copy. We'll put the link in the show notes to the blog post where which has um, other links to how you can get uh, you, how you can get your copy of the book. So very but also, cool. The other thing I love about this is that we talk all the time about, you know, finding your people, finding your yeah. right to people. We talk about the fact that you, you know, talk to the people next to you at events. We talk, we do all of those things. And she has, you know, these guys have done that, which is brilliant. And she, you know, 
even says in the post, Kylie says in her post that, you know, listeners of the podcast will probably recall us banging on about that. She doesn't say that, but I know that that's what she actually means. (laughs) And because I'm reading between the lines here. Um, And she, but, you know, it's not always easy to know how to do it, you know. And so she has the five tips here very clearly, Mm. you know, laid out for how you can find your people as well, you know, and she mentions, of course, you know, communities like our uh, Facebook community. So you want to be a writer's fa- uh, podcast community, talks about attending events, um, you know, looking, you know, because sometimes the people that you meet at these things, you know, you you might get together and think you're going to start a writing group. Maybe it's not quite the right fit for you. You have to have the right people. Um, you know, you've got to be people who are sort of on, this, on the same wavelength that you, often around mm. the same level as you are, um, and willing to do sort of like if you're going to have a, an actual writer's group, you know, and you set a, a target or whatever, you, you need people who are going to engage and invest in the same way that you're going to and actually do the work. Um, mm. You know, she talks about reciprocity and how important it is, you know, you're part of the network, yeah. you know, once you start to do that stuff and you're going to, you know, support each other and help promote each other and share, you know, other people's stuff. Um, and she also talks about participating in writing opportunities, like, you yes. know, getting into competitions, joining a course, you'll find people people, you know, in, in courses. Um, anyway, so the link's in the show notes, but like just mm. we're chuffed and congratulations. Chuffed. And I'm also wondering, is she a Fennel or a Fennel? I'm, well, yes, I'm not sure. So mm. I hope Sorry that about that. I've Sorry if we got that wrong, Kylie. We, yes. we love your work. We're just not very good at surnames. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to, well, look, the world is um, hopefully getting back onto a slightly more even keel. Certainly in Australia, we live literally in the lucky country, um, you know, and with the vaccines coming out soon and stuff like that, hopefully there's going, we're going to see a comeback in festivals and writing, in-person writing events. I mean, this it's the, the online world is still fantastic, especially for people who live in remote areas, of course. It's brilliant. Yes. Um, but uh, the the Central Coast Writers Festival, it's called the Words on the Waves Writers Festival, is scheduled for the June long weekend at Yumina Beach. This is in New South Wales for those of you who want to come over for a bit of sun and surf and writing. Uh, but that's pretty exciting, right? Oh, look, I think any new – I love a, you know, I love a startup. I love a writers festival. And the yes. bunch of people that are behind this um, – particular festival you know it's a great it's a great group Mm. of people who've come together you know to get this going and get it started and I think you know the proximity to Sydney is great and I I think that it's um it's going to be um a really good um festival they've got a great uh schools program going Mm. um you know there's a lot of um, a lot of events that they're planning, and I just really hope that it. I hope it all happens because you know the, the sudden so border closes and things like that can be difficult. But um, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really also hoping that the you know local community and and Sydney mm. as well, because it's not far, um, yeah, gets it's behind far. it to support it. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Thomas Keneally is going to be there, Meg Keneally, who we've had on the podcast, Suzanne Gervais, who we've had on the podcast, also your Curly Saunders, Oliver Pomervan, Deb Abela, some great names are going to be there. We've had them all on the there. podcast. Had it's them going to be on. terrific. <laughs> yes. So if you want to check it out, it's wordsonthewaves.com.au. All right. So let us now move on to a competition. Oh, this is really good, this book. Okay. We have three copies of Rebel without a clause. Oh, Valerie. <laughs> it's exactly exactly the kind of title that it would just have you like 
jumping up and down in glee in the bookshop, wouldn't it? I can just see you clapping your hands. (laughs) Yes, yes. Revel Without a Clause by Susan Butler. Um, Pretty exciting uh, because she's Mm. the former Macquarie Dictionary editor. Um, A bit about it. The English language is changing constantly. We invent new words and phrases. We mash up idioms. We, we mispronounce, misuse, misappropriate. Sue Butler has heard it all and is ready to defend and disagree with common usage. Veering from tolerance to outrage, she examines how the word Sheila took a nosedive after World War II, considers whether we should hunker or bunker down, and bemoans the emptiness of rhetoric. She shouts, down with closure, as it leaps from the psychoanalyst's couch, explains why we've lost the plot on deceptively, untangles the Manuka honey stash. Oh, yeah, Manuka honey. Um, Or is it Manuka? I think it's Manuka, babe. Manuka honey. I get confused with Canberra. Okay, Fathom's (laughs) wife... The treatment of famous is infamous and ponders whether you would, could or should. Rebel Without a Clause is a fascinatingly idiosyncratic romp through the world of words by lexicographer and former Macquarie Dictionary editor Sue Butler. So we have three copies to give away. Go to writerscentre.com.au slash win for your chance to win one of those three. Entries close on the 1st of March. That's writerscentre.com.au slash win. I was just going to jump in and say, I guess that you and Dean have probably gone and bought a copy each already, <laughs> ready to go. Yeah, Big shout out to Dean who does the Q&As on, on the Writer Centre <laughs> website. Yes, I, I can see mine on the bookshelf over there. So mm-hmm. um, wanted to bring this book to you guys. So now, Al, speaking of words and stuff like that, are you ready for the word of the week? Oh, I feel like we've done it, but yeah, let's do it. Let's do it again. Let's do more. Okay, let's do more. Let's do more. Deracinate. Deracinate. D-E-R-A-C-I-N-A-T-E. Deracinate. Do you think you could make that noise again if you try? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it means, Val. I don't think I'd ever use it, but please, let's do it. You might. According to the Macquarie Dictionary, it means to pull up by the roots or uproot or even eradicate. So if you're going to do some gardening this weekend, Al, which you may well do because you're into that, you mm. might deracinate your weeds. Mm. I'm not going to deracinate my weeds. Yes, you I just, are. I, no, I, I, look, in your, in your world, I, deras- I would be deracinating. In my world, I would simply be digging them up. Okay. Oh. Or you'd yeah. use that weed killer stuff. No, I don't use that. Okay. All right. No, I dig them up. Well, you actually anyway, you're deracinating them. I am right. deracinating by any other name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so deracinate, and that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're serious about completing your own novel manuscript, immerse yourself in our inspiring and motivational six-month program, Write Your Novel. Filled with weekly workshopping and practical lessons, you'll receive advice on structure, dialogue and much more, as well as tips on publishing. The online program fits around your weekly schedule and you'll get extensive personal feedback from your classmates and tutor throughout the program. Here's what Frances Chapman says. Hi, I'm Frances Chapman and I've done several courses at the Australian Writers' Centre. 
I was looking for a course that uh, would introduce me to other people who would be able to tell me if, if it was any good or if I was on the right track. I first enrolled in a creative writing course at the Australian Writers' Centre and I really liked the tutor of that course so I had, an, had another look and she was doing a um, six month write your novel course the next year and I was also pregnant and so I was on maternity leave and I thought oh this would be a great opportunity to focus on my writing. The course was so valuable in so many ways. I felt found writing such a solitary, lonely pursuit in some ways. And this gave me an opportunity to meet other people who were going through the same kind of process. And I found some people who were willing to give me some really constructive and helpful feedback on what I was writing. The other thing that was really valuable in that course was learning some of the fundamentals of storytelling. I was a very sort of intuitive writer, but the actual building blocks of telling a story that was not something that I knew anything about. Um, these were things I'd really struggled with and that course gave me some of those fundamentals. I was so fortunate to be shortlisted for the Amsterdam Prize. And then about a week or so later, she called me and said that I was the winner and I was trying so hard to be cool. <laughs> and I, um, I jumped up and down and I made like little noises, but not into the phone and into the phone I was saying, Yes, that's, yes, that sounds fine. That would be great. Yes, lovely. Okay. But inside I was just hyperventilating. My debut novel, Stars Like Us, is about a teenage rock band who hit the big time and things don't go as planned. It's a whirlwind adventure and I'm really excited about it. So I'm always writing, but I keep two days to myself a week for my fiction writing. I think putting boundaries around your time is really important. It's really important to sit down and take that time for yourself to write. You're not a writer if you don't have any readers. That's the role that workshopping plays in bridging that gap. I would highly recommend any courses at the Australian Writers' Centre. Any author can, at any stage of their career can benefit from hearing the input of other writers. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash novel writing. All right, so Al, who is our writer in residence this week? Well, I'm very excited to introduce Gary Lonsborough to our audience. Um, Gary has written one of the, probably, I think, the most talked about debuts so far this year. It's called The Boy from the Mish. It's a YA novel. Um, it's getting huge raps. And um, so I just need to, I need to, I mean, we do talk about this in the interview, but I need to admit that I, when it crossed my desk and I saw where Gary was from, I contacted the public, publicist and I said, um, does Gary have people in the area in which I live? Because I went mm. to school with assorted Lonsboroughs, like, you know, wow. obviously many, many moons ago. And, yes, um, part of his family, you know, is from this area. So, it was ah. his, So you know, you just never know what is going to, like, make someone go, oh, I need to talk to that person. This is why it's really important yes. just to be nice to everyone, everyone. Um, mm. Not that I've ever spoken to Gary or, you know, have actually <laughs> seen any Lonsboroughs for years. But, um, yeah, so we, we talked because we have a local connection and uh, it was a really good chat. So I hope you guys will enjoy it. Gary Lonsborough is a Ewan writer who grew up on the far south coast of New South Wales. His debut YA novel, The Boy from the Mish, is out now with Alan, Alan, Alan and Unwin. Welcome to the program, Gary. Hi, Alison. Thanks so much for having me. That really wasn't my best radio interview there, uh, radio interview intro there, but I do my best. Now, 
you're going <laughs> to lift the quality of this program immediately by telling us about your path to publication. How did The Boy from the Mish come to be published? Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I basically I wrote a draft of the book, um, you know, worked on that for about a year. Um, so, you know, I spent a lot of time editing and reworking and, uh, you know, deleting and adding and uh, basically sent it out to a few publishers. Got a couple of rejections. Um, by the time those rejections started coming in, I, I started writing the book from Jackson's perspective. So it was originally written from Thomas's perspective and mm -hmm. he was a very different character. Um, as soon as I started writing from Jackson's perspective, the story just came alive and, you know, there were so many more things I could explore, um, you know, so many more layers to the story. Um, and yeah, it, was, it just felt like a, like a much better, much better book. Um, so basically one of those rejections I got was from Alan and Unwin. Um, so I just sort of said to them, oh, look, I'm actually reworking the manuscript right now from Jackson's perspective. I think it's a much better story. Um, would you be interested in reading it when it's ready? And they said yes. And then, and then it was a lot of waiting and waiting. And uh, maybe six, seven months later, got an email saying that uh, the publisher wanted to meet with me. And so, yeah, it all just went from there. All right. So unpacking that a little bit, how old were you when you first started writing the novel? Oh, how old was I? Because um, you're only about 25 now, right? I'm 26 now. Oh, sorry. Over the, over um, the at 26. Oh, yeah, I just uh, – <laughs> my birthday was in January, so okay. it was very recent. Um, I must have been 24 then when I started, maybe 23. Okay. And was um, it the first novel you'd ever written? Uh, it's the first full-length novel I'd finished. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So I'd written, like, a couple uh, short novellas and – uh, I started writing another another book, which was a, I guess it was a, a like a post-apocalyptic uh, speculative fiction. Um, I got about fifty thousand words into that manuscript, and I decided it was crap, so I stopped. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was the first one that I, you know, I wrote a long enough stories for it to be a novel, and that I actually was really excited about, and was willing to put in those hours, and and finally finished. And why did you originally, like, why were you originally drawn to writing it from Thomas's perspective? Um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I've thought about this myself, and I don't know. I think maybe psychologically uh, I, I was thinking of, you know, that would be able to distance me from the material a little bit better as, you know, a visiting, a visiting character from the city, you know, seeing it all through their perspective. It sort of took me out of the equation a little bit. Um, whereas I guess when I started writing from Jackson's perspective, it became a lot more personal. I put a lot more of myself in there and it really brought the story to life. Um, but I think that's why I started it from, I started writing from Thomas's pers perspective originally. Okay. Because you felt like it gave you that, that extra kind of like distance, which maybe made it easier for you to approach what is actually a very personal and story full of a lot of big themes. So do you think you needed to do that first to kind of like ease your way into it? I definitely think so. And I definitely think um, having done that and seeing how, how much better the story became after, after, you know, writing it from Jackson's point of view, 
um, you know, that was a big lesson for me was, um, you know, perspective. And, mm. um, yeah, I think that really helped. And I guess it was kind of like a bit of a, like a warm up to writing it from, from Jackson's point of view. Cause I was already, I already knew the setting and the trajectory mm. of the story. And so I already had those sort of bones in place. And by the time I came to Jackson, it was just basically making him a much more complex character um, exploring all those issues and, and themes that he faces and, uh, yeah, just bringing him to another level. So you said that um, you received a couple of rejections. Was that what made you think, maybe I need to try this a different way? Or was it just like you woke up one morning and thought, no, wait, I'm doing this wrong? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, <laughs> it was definitely the rejections that helped. <laughs> so, yeah, I know um, like rejections, uh, while they can be – really tough to take at the time uh you know if you get a good editor who's who's willing to actually you know make give you some uh helpful suggestions uh which i did get um then yeah i think those rejections definitely helped and uh you know after getting those i could see better i guess i could see better for myself why the story wasn't working and mm. and that started ticking over in my head like how can i make this better because it is very scary when you have to deep dive, isn't it? Because that's essentially what you do with Jackson is you've explained it as it's not your life story per se, but it's a kind of an experience that mirrors your own. And it's actually quite scary to be that intimate and personal and put that stuff on a page for other people to read, isn't it? It's quite a, it is quite a barrier, I think, for a lot of people. Yes, yes. I definitely felt very, um, very vulnerable and, uh, you know, even a bit scared to actually send it out after I'd, you know, written it as a Jackson story. Um, but I think that was just, um, you know, because I, I wanted to articulate how I was feeling as a teen, mm. uh, you know, uh, tell it all through Jackson. So everything Jackson felt in, in this book is something that I've felt. Um, but ultimately I knew that's how, that's how you relate to a character. That's how you make that connection to a character is experiencing those real there's real emotions and, you know, there's real doubts and fears and, uh, you know, just trying to infuse all of those feelings I felt into his monologue, in a monologue. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's how I, you know, that, that's where the, the magic comes from really is, is allowing yourself to be vulnerable, allowing yourself to make uh, make mistakes and write crappy drafts and, um, yeah, and then finding the story as you as you continue to work on it over time. So do you think the line when you're writing a novel, like the line between that sort of autobiography and fiction, is that the feelings are yours but the story is not? Do you think that encapsulates how it works? Uh, that was definitely how it worked for The Boy from Mish. Yeah. Um, yeah, like it's definitely a yeah, fictional story. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, it's very, um, you know, uh, removed from my own childhood. Yeah. But uh, there are a lot of similarities um, that I had to chuck in there, like you know having those family, uh, those family come to stay for Christmas, and uh, you know having sleepovers, and you know all the cousins staying with you, and uh, little kids, you know getting annoyed at little kids. That's something I felt a lot as a teen was <laughs> getting really annoyed. I'm still annoyed um, by know. little kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to say that, but yeah. Um, um, but yeah, like all those things, uh, you know, the stuff that's inspired by, um, you know, moments from my childhood, um, 
you know, things I've done with my family or experienced. And, uh, so your wallet is all fictional. There's a lot of stuff that's very much inspired. Um, but yeah, as I think the, you know, there is a line that you need to draw when you're, you know, putting your own feelings into those characters. Um, cause you don't want it to be, you know, self-indulgent, but at the same time you want it to be universal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think even, you know, non-indigenous teens can relate to the story of, you know, trying to figure out who you are and finding your place in the world um, and understanding your own identity. All right. So tell us about the boy from the Mish. We've we've gone around it. So let's have a let's have the elevator pitch. What is the boy from the Mish all about? Yeah. So it's a it's a story about a seventeen year old Aboriginal boy named Jackson who lives in a small country town, um, and it's just about him. You know trying to figure out who he is and come to terms with his sexuality while also falling in love for the first time. All right, so we're looking at some fairly big themes here. We've got coming of age, identity, masculinity, we've got racism, we've got belonging, we've got queerness, we've got art, we've got all of this stuff in this one YA novel, which I have to say, yep. like, it's a great read. I really, really enjoyed um, enjoyed the book. Um, but, no, you know, you. did you set out to explain like, did you sit down and go, I'm going to write a book about identity and racism and belonging and queerness? Or did you start writing a story and all of this stuff came out? Yeah, so originally, my original plan was just to write a story about this Aboriginal kid who's coming to terms with his sexuality. And it was all very much focused on the love story. Mm. So that was that was the, the first thing, was, you know, that story of falling in love and, you know, uh, all those sort of struggles he has with himself and his own identity, that was all sort of there. Yeah. Everything else came in the editing. So, um, you know, I did a lot of self-editing before I'd submitted it, um, which I think is one of my strengths is self-editing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did cut a lot of stuff and there were a lot of scenes that actually stayed from the first draft and I just sort of rewrote. Um, so, yeah, uh, that was definitely how I started. But all that other stuff came in the editing when I was trying to, you know, add more to the story, to make it more realistic, to, uh, you know, just make the world feel more real mm. um, and complex. And, um, yeah, so, like, all the – I guess all this, the art stuff came later. Um, uh, the, the story with the mum and the auntie came later. Um Basically everything except for the love story came later. <laughs> okay, so so how many drafts of a novel, like how many drafts of this novel did you write before you were happy with it? Oh, my. Um, how many did I write? <laughs> I must have, it must have been at least maybe 15, 16 drafts. Wow. Um, I'm not sure. So uh, yeah, you, I can't remember. Are you just but... basically layering? So you kind of you write the first draft and you've got, you know, a love story and then are you just layering, layering, layering the whole time or, yeah, or shifting so... the focus or what are you doing with that drafting? Yeah, that was definitely how it started with the original draft. Um, so, yeah, I'd written that first draft and then I was layering, layering, layering. Uh, when it came time to write from from Jackson's point of view, I rewrote basically the whole first draft again. Mm. Um, and then again, it was just layering and layering and layering. And yeah, that second time round, it was just much more rewarding because everything was everything was organic and everything was working. 
Um, you know, I, there was nothing I sort of had any doubts about. Um, it just felt like it all worked really well. And um, that was definitely the the moment that I sort of uh, knew that it was going to be a decent book. Um, <laughs> Gee, that must be a good feeling when you get to that point of this is going to be a decent book. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have those two characters right from the beginning? Like, were they... Like, were they the starting point, though, as far as, you know, if you wrote a love story to begin with, was it was it those two characters that drew you to the story in the first place? Yes, definitely. Mm. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it was definitely Jackson and Thomas that started the whole thing for me. Um, you know, even going back a little bit further, I, I wrote a – so I went to film school for a couple of years, and um, I was writing a lot of short scripts. Um, I wrote a, a top-secret short film script about an Aboriginal boy – uh, he, he's got a secret relationship with this other Aboriginal boy and it's sort of their last night together before one of them leaves. Um, so I, tr- I tried to take a lot from the characters that I'd written in that mm. short script. Um, so, yeah, I already had those those two characters before I started writing the novel. Okay. And so when it comes to writing the novel, are you – like what's your writing process? Are you someone who writes every day? Are you fitting writing in around a day job? Like how did you um, – how did you sort of make that space and time in your life to actually get the words down? Uh, yeah, so when I started drafting the first draft, I was working part-time, uh, so I had a lot more time up my sleeve. Mm. Uh, I was definitely writing every day for that first draft. Um, you know, I had the whole story sort of in my head in a series of scenes and I just needed to get it out. So I wrote probably every day for about a month and then I had a first draft. Um, and then, uh, I guess later on I started working full time and, uh, most of the writing was done, you know, at night and well into the early hours of the morning and, you know, I'd come to work completely tired and exhausted, but, um, yeah, so that's, that's sort of how I had to manage it was, you know, uh, trying to balance it with a full-time job it was really difficult at times. And, um, you know, obviously I spent a lot of weekends as well. So, uh, you know, having to cancel some social commitments. But mm. uh, overall, I think I had a really good balance of, um, you know, I, I know if I need to write today because I'm feeling that momentum. Um Versus, oh, I, I don't need to write tonight because uh, I'm not feeling very creative. I'll get back to it tomorrow. Yeah, okay. Um, but, yeah, writing – so when writing this book, I didn't have any deadlines or anything. You know, I could just go at it at my own pace, mm. um, which was a lot – it was a lot different, you know, once the editing started with Alan and Unwin and, you know, we have deadlines and that we have to meet and, uh, you know, certain expectations and standards, so – uh, that was a lot different, but I definitely had a lot more freedom when I was just drafting because I was just writing by myself. Was there anything that actually surprised you about that publishing process as far as, you know, did it kind of, was it what you expected or were there things about it that you were startled by? <laughs> mm. uh, first thing was how slow the whole process is. Oh, yeah, that's everyone. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Uh, my first meeting with the publisher, um, so it was in 2019, late 2019. Um, she tells me that we'll look at publishing in early 2021. Yeah. And I was just like, that's so far away. <laughs> what are we that's so far for? away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, um, you know, waiting for that edit, first edit letter to come and, 
uh, once you do your edits over like a month or two or, or whatever you get, um, then, you know, waiting to get that back and, uh, yeah, just the whole editing process. It was all very, at times felt very, uh, you know, like we were racing against the clock, but also at times felt like there was so much time yeah. in between everything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was the biggest thing for me was yeah. the biggest surprise was the, was just the amount of time it takes to make a book. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the, like the whole editing, um, you know, I found another thing I found surprising was the relationship I'd built with my editor. Mm. Um, so yeah, I had a really great editor, you know, she, she completely understood the story, understood what I was trying to say. Um, she was very supportive and, uh, you know, any sort of edits she had, she'd, she'd run it by me, but I didn't have to change anything I didn't want to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was sort of another surprise was, you know, there's the, how close I became with the editor and, and how much fun that working relationship was. So the books received a lot of well-deserved attention. Like there's, I've been watching the momentum build for it, you know, over the last probably, I don't know, six weeks or so. Um, and the, you know, even prior to publication, was that something that surprised you? Were you surprised by the interest? Has that been a, a big learning curve for you as well? Oh, yes, definitely. Mm. Um, so the very first feedback I got from an outsider that wasn't in the publishing in the publishing house uh, was a, a quote from David Leverson. Mm. And he sent, he sent this really lovely uh, email to my publisher, which was passed on to me. And, yeah, I just couldn't believe it, uh, you know, reading it. And um, it, took me a while, it took me a long time to try to figure out how to come to terms with those kinds of reactions to the story. Yeah. Um, just because, yeah, it was so mind-blowing. Um, you know, for someone who hadn't been published before, someone who was just, you know, a year before just writing by myself at a desk with, you know, no, no real intention of having anyone read it. Um, yeah, it was a very big learning curve. Mm. And, and yeah, you know, getting all those endorsements, which were really lovely, um, you know, it's all very exciting. Uh, and, yeah, it gives me a lot of momentum to continue writing, or a lot of motivation to continue writing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, at the same time, it's, it's very daunting because you feel like you have these expectations now. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you kind of set, yeah. you know, as you say, you're one minute you're writing by yourself and the next minute you're you're kind of in a spotlight, aren't you? Um, and yeah. you know, then it's like, well, okay, what are you going to do next, Gary? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I was like, I just wanted to write this book and then, you know, go back to my life. But yeah, now like this past month in particular has been a bit of a roller coaster. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very, uh, like daunting for someone who, you know, the first book, um, you know, first time through the whole process and. Um, but at the same time, it is very exciting and, um, yeah, it does feel very rewarding as well. So what sorts of things are you doing to promote the book? Like I know around the launch you've you've had, you know, TV and radio and you've been doing all those kinds of things. But, like, moving forward, are you do, you do you do a lot of social media? Are you planning to do, like, talks where you can? Like what sort of things are you thinking uh, that you're going to do as far as promoting the book going forward? Yes, I'm definitely doing a lot of social media. Um, I want to be more active on social media. It's never really been something that that I uh, 
you know, aspired to. I didn't want to be a social media person. Um, but yeah, now that I've got the book, uh, I definitely want to be more active. And where can we um, find you on social media, Gary? This is where you drop your. This <laughs> is where this is just tip here. This is where you drop your stuff in. You can find me. Okay. At... Um, yeah. So on Twitter, um, so you can get me at at G Lonsborough. Yeah. Um, on Instagram, I am at Gary Lonsborough. And I'm also on Facebook, which is Gary Lonsborough Author. Okay. And Lonsborough, yeah. for everyone, is L-O-N-E-S-B-O-R-O-U-G-H. Excellent. <laughs> did that. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty smooth. Um, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> so the question was, yeah, exactly, though, this is how my interviews always go. What was the question, Alison? Um, so what sorts of things are you doing to promote the book? Are you going to be doing school okay. talks? Are you going to be doing, you know, that sort of thing as well? Uh, yeah, so I've got a couple book clubs that have already, uh, you know, asked me to to speak with them, and um, so there's a couple of reading groups happening. Yep. Uh, I've definitely got a lot of radio and um, newspaper stuff happening in the next little while, um, but going forward, I definitely want to, you know, drop into bookshops, and I uh, would definitely love to do school talks and school drop-ins at some point in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah, at the moment, I'm just sort of trying to take a breath and and relax and, you know, try <laughs> to take all, all the attention in that I've been getting at the moment. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I definitely, definitely would love to spend this year just promoting the hell out of this book until people are sick of hearing about it. Sounds like a plan. Um, now, I love the fact that you thank – it's quite a sizable paragraph in your – I always read the acknowledgements. I love a good acknowledgements page. And um, yep. you thank your teachers, your Abor Aboriginal education officers, as well as writers, Gabby Stroud and Kate Liston-Mills. Like how important is a support network, both professional and also family-based, because your family is a huge support to you as well. How important do you think that is for emerging writers? Oh, yeah, I think it's definitely very important. Um, you know, you need to surround yourself with people who – who are excited by your success and want to see you succeed. Um, you need to, <coughs> sorry, um, yeah, definitely important to have you know, a great group of friends and uh, you know that'll that'll be there to support you. Um, and for me, definitely take a lot of support from my family. Mm. Um, so I think my dad's more excited about this book than I am at this point. But um, <laughs> you know, he, he, yeah, I think him championing it and championing championing it and um, you know, he's doing his own sort of promotions back home and, uh, you know, telling everyone about it. And um, so, yeah, definitely important to have those. Um, and, yeah, like uh, Gabby and Kate, we've, we've started like a little uh, group message thing that's been going for over a year now. And, uh, you know, we're always supporting each other. Um, and, yeah, going back to the school, you know, um, it's definitely important to, you know, have those – Aboriginal liaisons in the schools and mm. Aboriginal education officers because because uh, they are what sort of you know uh, make school better for a lot of Aboriginal kids. Yeah, um, definitely did for me. Um, you know, having good uh, liaisons there that you could go and talk to if you were you know just feeling a bit down or just weren't wanting to be at school that day. Um, yeah. yeah, so those people are very important, and, and it is very important to. Uh, you know, for teachers to also support the students and yep. be able to recognise uh, uh, those, you know, those talents and be able to encourage as well. Yep, definitely. 
Uh, so one question we're often asked is, you know, how do you find, you know, writers to team up with, like in the sense that, you know, you have you know, Gabby and Kate there. Did you, how did you find writers? Like how did you go about, you know, getting your support network together? <laughs> um, so Gabby was a, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Gabby was a teacher at my school when I was little. All right. Um, so... I think I was in year six and my year six teacher, I guess she thought I was a good writer or something or that I was creative. Um, she, I think Gabby had, had just released her uh, YA novel back then or yeah. was about to release it. Um, but uh, she asked Gabby to do lessons with me and another student, uh, you know, just little writing exercises to, you know, I guess sort of get excited about writing and, you know, uh, learn more about the craft and oh, as much as you can as a as a 12 year old but um yeah so those little lessons were sort of something that all kept inspiring me through high school and um basically after my we sort of kept in touch throughout the years and uh, after I got my book deals she was one of the first people I called um, oh, because she was always very uh, supportive of me in my writing through you know, my teen years and even younger um and yeah from that uh Kate was also a friend of Gabby's, so we just sort of all became like a, a trio of friends. Brilliant. Um, and, and we went to the Wollongong, yeah, and we went to the Wollongong Writers Festival together in 2019. And um, yeah, that was sort of where it happened. And yeah, you know, I met a lot of writers there as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those events are great as well for meeting writers and you know, making those connections. Excellent. All right. So what's next? Are you working on a new book or are you like, you know, waiting for the muse to strike or what happens now? Um, I am working on another YA uh, fiction right now. Um, I'm almost finished, I think. I'm not really sure. But um, basically that's uh, sort of inspired by my time working with Aboriginal youth and involved in the youth justice system and the right. out-of-home care systems. And yep. um, You know, I just had this character in my head of this kid who's stuck in those systems and, you know, is trying to get back on the right path but is struggling a little bit. Um, so I'm working on that right now. Uh, I definitely have a few other YA stories up my sleeve at the moment, um, which I'm keen to actually get started on. I want I want to finish what I'm working on right now and get that out of the way so I can start working on something else. <laughs> you want um, to get onto the shiny new one, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I'm definitely still writing. Uh, I've definitely got a lot a lot of ideas to. Sounds like you've got a lot to say, Gary, which I think is fantastic. All right, speaking of lots to say, we're going to finish up today with our um, last question we ask everybody, which of course is the three top tips for writers. So what have you got for me? Um, Okay, firstly, I would say to uh, read a lot of books. Mm. Uh, Yeah, definitely read a lot, Uh, read widely. you know, uh, like if you're interested in YA, read a lot of YA, but also read a lot of adult fiction, read a lot of nonfiction. Um, yeah, just read widely, um, you know, because you find your own sort of style from taking that inspiration from other writers. Um, secondly, I would say to, you know, writing isn't all just about getting the actual words on the page. So, um, you know, allow yourself time to, Go for a walk or you know, listen to some music, mm. uh, read some poetry, you know, take inspiration from the little things in life. I like to see everything everything I encounter as material. Mm. So if I'm having a bad day, I can use that as material later. That, that helps me get through it, I think. 
Um, so yeah, everything is material. Uh, yeah, and you don't have to be writing every day. So you know, you need to be getting that inspiration as well. Um, but you know, at the same time, don't don't be lazy about. It. <laughs> um, Tip number three. Third, also yeah. write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thirdly, uh, allow yourself to write a crappy first draft. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's the most important thing is just to get that that first draft out of your system. So. You know, you're not going to make a book in that first draft. It all comes through working on it and, you know, editing and uh, chopping and changing and and deleting and adding. And it all comes later. So, you know, allow yourself just to get that first draft out. Uh, you know, don't worry too much about the mistakes you're making along the way. Just get it all out there and work on it later. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Gary. I really appreciate it. Um, if you'd like to find out more about Gary and his books, you will find him at GaryLonsborough.com or on those various social media handles that we managed to drop in earlier. Um, best of luck with the book and best of luck with the, with the new one as well. And I'm sure we'll be hearing lots more from you in the future. Thank you. Thanks, Alison. All right. So that was Gary. That's a great interview, Al. Thanks. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed our chat and it was, um, you know, it's, you know, he's not very old, he's what, 26 and just um, talking to him, he's gone, uh, that uh, spotlight is very, has been very firmly on him and, you know, he's gone from sort of writing this, this novel, you know, over a couple of years and then suddenly finding himself, well, you know, as I said, like interviewing Angie Thomas like he's a debut Mm. author and he's Mm. like and I think that's a it's a huge kind of thing to have to step up from you come out of your you know out of your writer cave and suddenly there you are blinking in the sunlight so to speak but Mm. I think he's doing a great job you know and I and I wish him all the best I do think it's a novel that we're probably going to see on you know shortlist over the over the shortlist season so I'll be looking to see if my prediction is correct yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that brings us almost to the end of this week's episode. What are you doing in the coming week, Al? Well, I'll be finishing my revision because it's, yes. um, I, you know, I'm on a deadline with that, so I'll be doing that. Um, I'm gearing up to go to uh, – I'm actually leaving the house, everyone. Let's take a deep Ooh. breath here. Um, I'm a prize in the Premier's Reading Challenge. I'm a prize um, <laughs> in the Premier's Reading Challenge. So I'll be off to uh, Strathfield Girls High School and I'll be cool. doing a, an author talk and an interview um, with the winner of the Year 9, 10 section of the Premier's Reading Prize from last year, awesome. um, which I'm very much looking forward to doing. Uh, but it's my first, you know, it's my first author talk in a while, so I'm kind of <laughs> having to rethink, you know, you know, just you got to kind of get yourself back into that. You know, I've got to dust off the blazer and oh, the dry yeah. cleaners. The dry cleaners out. The only dry cleaners in our area burnt down um, oh, no. a little while ago, like literally burnt down. So I'm really hoping that the authorial blazer, or at least one of them, is is in schmick sort of state because oh, yeah. um, I have to travel quite a long way to find a dry cleaner these days. So oh. you know, like it's. You don't think about stuff like that, do no. you? You people who live in in populous areas, mm, <laughs> mm. the one dry cleaner and it's gone. Mm. Um, anyway, so yeah, so I'll be doing that. I'm dusting off my blazer and polishing my boots and going off to talk books. Well done. Mm. You'll be busy. 
Hmm. I'm quite excited. What about you? What are you doing? Apart from trying um, to work out what to do with your bubble wrap. Oh, and my God. Can I just say that when you put that image in the podcast um, community on Facebook, the responses were just as good as I'd hoped. Thank you, people. Because when I saw, I saw one, I saw a photo of one of them and was rolling on the floor of my office. When I saw the three of them lined up together. That's the I, leftovers. Oh, just honestly, you could you could build a fort with that stuff. <laughs> I honestly don't know what to do. I'm just I don't know what to do. But anyway, if you haven't joined our Facebook group, please do. Just search for "So You Want to Be a Writer" podcast community on Facebook and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. It's a uh, it's a great group of people who currently are uh, think that my bubble wrap scenario is a little bit hilarious. It's just mind boggling. But anyway. <laughs> Thanks for all the comments. Um, so apart from figuring out um, uh, figuring out what to do with the bubble wrap, I have a dry cleaning issue myself because um, I b- bought these clothes the other day and they're just basic clothes. Mm-hmm. In fact, the shop that I bought them from is called Basic. Mm-hmm. And um, so they're all just everyday clothes, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I went to – so I've done my first sort of wear and I went to – wash them and they're all dry clean only no you just, need just to put, no you just need to put them in a jelly in a delicates bag and put them on a gentle wash with a gentle soap and they'll be fine try one see what yes. happens but yes. like literally i think some of that stuff is just to silly. you know cover so silly cover everyday bottom. clothes the sec- they're not the sec- like cover evening bottoms. yeah cover no bottoms. just just have a look at the um have a look at the label and Put okay. them in a delicates bag. Try one and just yes. run it on a delicate cycle, like on your gentle cycle. Yes. But here's look, Al's washing tips. Did yes. you guys know? That <laughs> Honestly, if you did as much washing as I did as well, you would know. Um, but, yeah, give it a go because you can't be rushing that stuff to the dry cleaners. That's no, ridiculous. it's ridiculous. How cost a fortune. Mm. Anyway, all right. Thanks for the tip, Al. Anytime, uh, <laughs> where do we find you online, Al? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I don't, like, I, you know, I love the fact that you people keep keep tuning in just to listen to us talk about this stuff. Thank you so much for putting Thank up you. with us. Yes. Um, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. You'll find me on Facebook still for the moment, but let's let's see what happens there, mm-hmm. at Alison Tate Writer, and I'm also on Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. What about you, Val? Yes. Where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.